to a new series from the Messy Reformation. There's been a lot of discussion and deliberation coming out of Synod 2022 around issues of sexuality. Much of the discussion has focused on whether the decisions made were good or bad, helpful or hurtful. However, Synod made some other declarations that we need to pay attention to. Synod repeatedly encouraged churches throughout the CRC to start having discussions about what it looks like to do pastoral care with those who are sexually struggling. Synod stated that the Human Sexuality Report offered sound introductory guidance for churches that should serve as conversation starters on how to best do pastoral care in these circumstances. Synod also stated that continuing conversation around pastoral care might have a powerful influence on elements of congregational life, such as gospel preaching, faith formation, the diaconate, our missional calling, the sacraments, and church discipline. With these strong encouragements from Synod for continued conversation on the topic of pastoral care for the sexually struggling, the Messy Reformation has decided to begin having some of those conversations, and we plan on dropping these episodes every Wednesday evening. We want to state right away at the beginning of each episode that we view these conversations as the beginning of a conversation. There's no way we can comprehensively discuss every element of pastoral care in such a small period of time. However, we want to start having the conversation and build from here. It's also important to remember that conversations go both ways. We don't want these conversations to remain between the people on the podcast. We want you to get involved as well. As you're listening to these conversations, we would love for you to be in conversation with us. We'd love for you to write down any questions, concerns, or pushback you may have, or anything you really loved about each episode. Then send that feedback to us at themessyreformation at gmail.com. We'll use your feedback to help us build future episodes to further answer your questions and concerns and then further the conversation. We're really excited about the opportunity to begin moving this conversation forward in a way that equips the saints, builds up the church, and brings glory and honor to God. So, get your pens and journals and enjoy the next conversation in our series, Pastoral Care for the Sexually Struggling. Dave, why don't you uh, tell us why I'm interviewing you about um, pastoral care regarding pornography usage and and why it's something that you're passionate about? Yeah, um, love to. First of all, I'll reintroduce myself. My name is Dave Bosher. I'm a pastor um, at Lakeside uh, Community CRC in Alto, Michigan. Um, I've been here for about a decade, and I love it. Uh, Now, uh, to the point when... um, when I was asked to be on here to talk about porn, uh, the, the reason for that, the reason why I'm so passionate about that, there, there's several reasons. Um, the first one is that uh, I, I love, and by love, I mean, it's like one of my favorite things in the world, um, discipling you know, men in their late teens and, and 20s. Uh, it's, it's something that I have enjoyed. It's something I'd found myself gifted at. And when you're working in that territory, you're, you're going to be dealing with that. That is one of the things that, that young men are going to be dealing with. Um, the second reason why it's such a big deal to me, um, is that it's a big story of what God's done in my life personally. And so, uh, that allows me to actually bring that healing into that relationship. And it's one thing to be able to sit down, um, you know, with a young man and say, uh, you know, here's what I think about what you're going through. It's nothing to say, I've been where you are. Um, and let me show you where Jesus was in the middle of it. 
Um, and so it's something I've put quite a bit of work into and quite a bit of thought into with regard to um, how to lead and love my church. I would also add that uh, the culture of my church has gotten to a point where there's some pretty cool stuff happening um, amongst people on this basis, but I'm, I'm sure that's something we can talk about later. Yeah. Well, why don't you uh, tell us, uh, you said this is a big part of the story of what God's done in your life. Why don't you kind of give us that story a little bit? Um, sure, a- absolutely. And, and by the way, um, you know, feel free to ask just about anything because uh, I'm, some of the listeners are going to find that I'm I'm really open about this and maybe more open than some of you are comfortable hearing. Um, but I think that our churches are going to have to get a lot more honest about this. And I'm a pastor, so I'm, I'm going to go first. That's what leaders do. Yeah. So um, my story starts off in a way that I think is familiar to a lot of young men and women. Um, as I was growing up, uh, my, my first exposure to pornography was, I believe, uh, either the latter, latter end of age 12 or 13. Um, and it came in the form of, of a good old-fashioned dial-up connection. Uh, some people's story starts with, uh, you know, the magazines they found under dad's bed or something like that. I post-date that by a little bit. Um, and it started off where I was, frankly, just curious and uh, stumbled into the wrong place on uh, dad's dial-up connection on, on the internet for for work. And I I, I immediately went and I, I, I told my dad what I had seen, and uh, I, I thought that was the end of it. But, um, you know, over time, as I grew up and the, the opportunities increased... Um, you know, that wound up being something that slowly took hold, you know, it started out being something that, um, you know, that you'd wander into almost by accident, but bit by bit, my, my feet took me down that path more until the point where, you know, I realized in high school that this is something that is really beginning to take hold of me. And it was no longer something that I dabbled in or that I controlled. It was very much something that, that started taking hold of me. Um, now that problem in my life, uh, escalated to a place where, you know, and calculate the cognitive dissonance on this one for me. Um, I was, by the time I was on the one hand on a ministry track, right? I went to Bible college and I'm in seminary and now I'm married. And this is still something that is hanging with me the entire way. And it does something crazy to you when on the one hand you're going, uh, I'm a godly enough person that people ought to follow. And I'm going to be a pastor. And on the other hand, um, there's this addiction in the background. And I wish I could say that that's uncommon, but the studies that I've read place the estimate of pastors who, uh, like, you know, on, ongoing pastors who are in their role right now, um, who are looking at porn at least once a month is, is between 40 and 50%. Um, and so my story is not unique and I'm, I'm not alone, but, uh, I had hoped like so many do that, like, okay, well, I kind of, um, I have this problem. But, uh, you know, once I get married, this will go away as though something other than the blood of Jesus Christ is going to be sanctifying, that marriage is going to do this for me. uh, And then it's just not going to be a problem. Well, that turns out not to be the case. And, um, you know, during that time, it's interesting, some of the the consequences that begin to build. Um, And it was always something I wrestled with, but it was always something I felt utterly powerless against. Uh, One of the things that I, I would say happens you know, the, the really obvious things are that you begin to feel out of control. There's, there's the guilt, um, there's the shame, uh, but it also impacts you psychologically over time. Um, I would say another thing that, that really hurt is it, it, it does something, it hits your identity. 
right? Uh, guilt is when you've done something wrong. Uh, shame is the sense of when you when you are something wrong. And uh, it is very difficult to separate what you do from who you are. At first, you go, well, this isn't me. You know, I, I just messed up. But after a while, um, you, you have something that you're hiding. Every addict has to be a liar. That's one of the things that's necessary to stay an addict. And so um, the dishonesty of it, um, the guilt of it, but eventually the shame of it comes to hit you. And I, I got to tell you, um, from somebody who's trying to do ministry in the meantime, which again is, um, I mean, some pastors listening to this probably will relate to just how much of a hypocrite you feel like. But every time in life, uh, somebody were to pay me a compliment, and this would be in ministry or, or otherwise, um, or I would receive some good feedback or something about what people saw in me, either in my personality or what God was doing in my life, um, it's as though it's as though Satan himself has this little fish hook tied into the back of my brain where he can he can pull me back like a bridle of the horse and go, well, let's not get too excited here. You know who you really are. You know what you're really up to. You know, if, if these people, if they really saw what you are, they'd, they'd run away screaming. Um, and so over time, uh, I knew that I was feeling guilty, but I didn't realize just how much joy that was, uh, that was robbing me of. Um, and like, uh, you know, some people will finally get bold enough that they'll, they'll seek accountability. And I, I did have that. I had, um, I had friends uh, throughout uh, college and uh, some into seminary where we actually did start talking about this. But my experience was that we would, we would get together. It would go very well at first, you know, it's okay. We've all done well um, this week or this month or, or whatever. But then one by one, as we begin to screw up, uh, the conversation would turn to, um, okay, did you screw up this week? Okay, I'll pray for you. Now, don't do that again. Uh, and it turns out that those groups can sometimes just spin into another outlet for shame um, that, can, uh, that can ultimately wind up. One of the things that uh, studies on porn have revealed is that guilt, the state that it is wrong, can actually deter the behavior so much. Uh, shame, on the other hand, when, when you start internalizing it and, and it's now become a part of who you are that you're running from, that you hate, uh, that actually reinforces the behavior. And so, um, sadly, for me, accountability initially uh, just led into a, a downward spiral um, of just tons and tons of, of pain. Uh, let me, you know, I actually have some other stuff. I want to pause here and just say, you know, I, I get really, uh, I'm passionate about porn in part because of uh, the consequences that we're seeing. I experienced this. Um, but la yesterday I, I uh, hopped onto a site that I would recommend. Uh, it's called Fight the New Drug. I believe fightthenewdrug.com. Um, they're a secular site. They make the case from that, uh, they make the case that porn is a societal evil from a, from a secular perspective. I have my suspicions that there may be some Christians involved in this, but they don't cop to that. Um, and uh, here's, here's some of the side effects that they, they quote a lot of clinical studies. And, uh, uh, you know, tell me if you can relate having talked to, I know that you did, did some youth ministry. You spent quite a bit of time with uh, Christian teenagers who are struggling with this. And um, here, tell me if these sound familiar. Number one, um, they have an increased level of loneliness. Number two, um, sexual numbness. Sometimes uh, when a person who's a porn addict, depending on how deep into it they were, 
uh, gets married, they, they think that, okay, finally, this is going to fix it. But what actually happens is they, they get into a relationship and they, they actually find that the experience is blunted. Sometimes they're altogether unable to perform uh, nowadays. There's a record number of 20-year-old men currently um, seeking treatment for erectile dysfunction. I mean, think about that for a second. Any married person, think about that. Uh, if that's not a, a big red alert alarm, I don't know what is. And even our sexualized culture, hopefully, I mean, they, they think that sex is sacred in as far as the pleasure is. Um, when that doesn't even work, doesn't that tell you something is wrong? Yeah. Um, we're seeing that right now, uh, teenage sex is actually in the decline. Now, we Christians would go, hooray, but the reasons for that are not because teenagers are coming to their senses. Um, it's ultimately because, uh, statistically speaking, some of them are losing the ability to relate to one another and date well. Um, and here's a, you know, finally, uh, we see there's, there's a massively warped view of sex that begins to form. And, and this leads into premarital counseling that um, what will happen is they'll enter premarital counseling, but the expectations of sex are so far off the mark that it creates another hurdle for that first year of marriage. So uh, check this out in 2016, um, a very broad uh, random sample survey was taken that said that just under half of teens reported believing um, that porn was a realistic depiction of how sex actually is. Wow. Now, um, I, I want to pause here. You, you, you were in youth ministry for years. I, I, I love, mm-hmm. We'll go on with my story because it doesn't end there. And if it did, I probably shouldn't be a pastor. That would be not a great <laughs> idea. Um <laughs> Or at the very least, I should be talking to my elders and I should be, be dealing with that. Luckily, that is by God's grace, that's not where I am. Um, but what did you see of this in in doing youth ministry? And in well, frankly, probably I'm, I'm naive if I'm thinking it's just the teenagers. Uh, but what have you seen of this? Yeah, I dealt with it. Um, teenagers and leaders, right? I, I, I discipled a lot of uh, our teenagers and our our young men who are leaders, uh, through, through some of these, uh, addictions. And I told a bunch of, I've told this story to a number of people before we had this one night, um, on a winter retreat, uh, we were talking about addictions, you know, typical youth ministry stuff, but I was talking about addictions and, uh, I had said it was, it was this kind of crazy moment where the Holy spirit moved. Um, and it was actually in the midst of my like failure. I hadn't really prepared for the message well enough. And I got to like the midpoint and forgot what I was going to say. And so I paused and was trying to like look reflective and try to think of what I was going to say next. And in the middle of that, all of a sudden, um, a young girl stood up. Uh, she was a freshman girl. She stood up and she, she said, I just, I got to confess, uh, she was addicted to cutting. And, uh, and then, and then another kid stood up and started confessing. And, but like, I would say 90% of the guys in our group stood up and confessed an addiction to pornography that night and some of the leaders. And so we had this pretty great moment of like confession and repentance and reconciliation, but it was kind of an eye opener, like, whoa, this is a really big deal in our group. And then actually what made it even, I think what even hit more home with me was after all of that had been done. So we had all of this, this massive moment of confession and repentance. And uh, we, you know, prayed over them, preached the gospel to them, um, kind of set up support groups for them. And then they all went off to bed. And I had another young man um, kind of wander down later and talk to me. And he was just in tears. And he looked at me and he said, I didn't even know porn was bad. 
Yeah. I didn't even know this was a bad thing. I, I thought it was just a good and normal and natural part of life. He was a non-believer, but he was just like, I, I thought this was a good thing. I didn't, I didn't even understand it when so many people were crying and repenting over this. Yeah. And so yeah. it was one of those moments where I thought, boy, this has been so normalized that, that kids don't even realize the, the damage that that's being done in this. Yeah, and and I I don't even know if they understand quite how destructive it is. I mean, even if I even if we put aside the rightness or the wrongness of it, um, you know the the problem and the intensity of it is growing by orders of magnitude. The access, the intensity, and um, I don't know if they understand what they're doing to themselves. And we have a we have a culture that simultaneously um, celebrates porn but wants women to be treated well. Um, but one of the things that we know is that, uh, you know, as people get addicted, they seek out more and more novel experiences and they're, they're being delivered at a faster rate than ever. And, um, that's one of the other correlates too, is that, uh, that, uh, feelings of misogyny or violence towards women, um, increase dramatically past a certain point. Um, and that, but that's, we could go on about the consequences, but uh, it's interesting to me that we have a culture that on, on the one hand, um, you know, human trafficking used to be one of these cause du jour things that everybody would talk about. Um, I don't know if maybe it still is to a degree, but a few years ago, I feel like there was a lot more noise about it. But you didn't hear a peep out of people about the porn industry, which is probably one of the biggest offenders in the continental US. Um, yeah. And that's, that's that externality. That's a justice issue. Um, so it almost seems like I, I wonder if our culture is about to wake up, whether or not they you know want to concede the morality of it, uh, just the sheer destruction that this is going to wreak on people psychologically, um, on society, because we're we're just at the beginning of it, right? Yeah, yeah, and I uh, just to go back to even some of the different things you've seen, like I've talked to a lot of guys addicted that feel like they're like spiraling down into a depression in the midst of it. They don't necessarily connect that, but there's some weird connection there where they're, they're falling into depression. And, and uh, I, and I just want to reaffirm one of the things that you had said, you know, some people think, well, marriage is going to fix this. But what I've noticed as I've even uh, talked with couples in the midst of this is that um, in particular, when the guy's addicted to porn, the wife, feels she can feel it she can feel that there's something different there she feels like she's being objectified or treated different she's not being treated as a spouse but she's being treated as an object like the women in in the porn and so it's like porn doesn't like the marriage isn't going to fix it because now you begin to treat your spouse like one of these not even intentionally but it just starts happening because you've gotten into this um i've got some I don't think maybe this isn't the place for me to get into all of my theological reasoning uh, behind why this happens, but uh, I've done, I've done quite a bit of thought on, on theologically why we start to even lose our ability to, uh, to perform. We become less human in, yeah. in the midst of going down this, down this rabbit hole. And I guess just a quick, I'll maybe wet people's appetite that when, uh, scripturally, we we become what we worship, right? And scripture, uh, I think it's Psalm one fifteen, talks about those who worship idols become like those idols, idols that can't speak, can't hear, can't breathe, can't talk. And uh, and so when we begin to fall down this path of idolatry, which is all porn is, and, and most addiction is, we end up becoming less human. We become less of who we're created to be. And so it's no wonder why 
we worship this idol of sex. And then as a result of that, you can't even perform what you're trying to worship. You actually lose your ability to do that because you're worshiping an idol and becoming more and more like it. Yeah. Oh, 100%. I, I, uh, I encountered that. Like I knew that in theory, but that slapped me in the face about, uh, about four years ago. Um, there was a, like I say, there's, I, I really, really love the, the sort of late adolescent age, uh, guys. They're, they're just my favorite for a whole variety of reasons. Uh, nothing against the girls. It's just that I can't disciple them one-on-one. That's my wife's job. (laughs) Um, uh, that, that would be a bad idea for a variety of reasons. Um, but, uh, so I, I gotta let me make sure I couch this correctly in a way that that he'd be okay with. Um, there was a a young man that uh, he became a Christian. That was a, a new development, and and um, part of that had to do with with uh, frankly public humiliation in high school online, which is another thing that is incredibly common. Um, and the thing that I the thing that I heard um, the thing that I heard from him that was interesting was uh you know and he's he's among the guys in the high school football team and frankly it was so common that the guys would be turning on their phones and putting on porn in the locker room you couldn't avoid it if you wanted it to um and he sat down on my on my porch every week and uh he would see my wife and I interact and one one week uh I was even putting my kids to bed and he heard me praying for them and he went through that whole routine and just watching us interact with something you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that something is boring as a godly marriage. Like we used to say like, Oh, you know, Christianity, it's, it's so boring, but we forget that we're shining like stars in the universe. Uh, the places where we're different are where we have a compelling contrast. And I sat back down after, after praying for my kids and, and giving my wife a kiss. And I sat back down with him and he, and he just says, he says, how do I get that? And I go, what do we mean? He's like, all of that. He's like, I don't, He's like, I, this is out of a young, young 20 something, uh, young, uh, late teen guy. He's like, uh, I want a romance. I don't want, everything is so empty. How did you get that? How do you have that? Um, and I was really shaken because you, you're right. There's something culture wide that's being robbed, uh, from people. And I'll say particularly young men, just cause that's who I deal with. But uh, the yeah. stats say that that you know female porn usage is extremely high and and its cultural impacts on there too. But this is just where my experience is. Um, let, let me swing swing us back around. So um, I I gave I talked about the front end of my uh, my story, and I mean it's it's a really really common story. And one of the things that I would say is that it, porn used to be something that you you didn't talk about. Now, when I sit down with a group of younger people, if I get to do that, it's one of these things that is very commonly talked about. It's very commonly known. Um, but I, I, I struggle with that shame over time. And there's a passage of scripture. There's kind of two principles that came into play that really started to change, uh, change everything. One of the things is that, you know, I had a rough time with accountability early on, but, um, I found that one thing is that you can have your your privacy, you can have your healing, but you can't have both. Um, in James chapter five, uh, and I'm going to mess up the wording a little bit here because I don't have it in front of me. Um, Jesus' bold little brother writes, uh, you know, uh, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Now he doesn't say forgiven. That's interesting. Um, 
you know, you can be forgiven in private. You talk to God and, um, Look, if you if you trust in Jesus as your Savior and your as your Lord, if you say, God, I want you to have my life, even though I'm terrible at giving it to you, and I am going to give up on getting you to owe me, um, I'm just not going to be able to do it. I need Jesus for nothing else. At that point, you're forgiven, and maybe that's a word that some people need to hear: is that um, if you're there and you're still keeping this private right now, one of the things that's happening is Satan is lying to you, saying you don't belong to God. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, if you're in the fl- if you're in this fight and you have that faith. Um, that's not necessarily true. Um, but you can have that forgiveness. But the thing is, if you keep this private, forgiveness and healing are two different things. And God built us into the body of the church for a reason. Uh, he, uh, he, he did not put us here as these churches are spiritual fill stations where we walk up, um, sit down with a group of strangers, try our best to ignore them and pay attention to a, you know, a good preacher if you can find one and then, then go home. Um, God put us in groups because a couple of reasons, um, one, you just flat out can't do Christianity alone. And second, he refers to us as the body of Christ. That's where he's going to be represented. And so, um, for me to keep my sinful struggles away from other Christians, um, I'm actually avoiding an encounter with Christ himself. If that's what the church is to be, and that's, I know that's a big thing to say, because there's so many stories of people having bad experiences with church, because the good ones just don't get that much publicity because they're too boring. Um, But God wants to use other people in your life. And so I I read that passage and took that as a challenge that I kind of had to, had to open up about it, about it again. Um, And that was a very difficult thing to do. Like I said, I I got married, and uh, even before we were married, I, I did tell my wife uh, she knew about this, and my friends knew about this. Uh, but then one day, something else happened. Um, I forget which one of the guys in this group of, of friends read this passage, uh, but he was, uh, he was reading in Hebrews, and it, it suddenly hit him. He said, you know, we do accountability exactly the same way as we would if we'd never met Jesus at all. And he goes, what if, what if there's something better that we actually have at our disposal? Um, I think in the church, one of the things, we have a, a really stunted view of pastoral care in part because for a long time, merely pouring shame on it worked. Um, I am, I, many people are not porn addicts for the same reason that I am not a heroin addict. Um, and that has to do with availability. When I was... Here, here's everything I had to do to avoid being a heroin addict. I had to know it was bad and say no twice in my entire life. That's it. Now, things might be very different for me, though, if, uh, if during the lowest points of my life, somebody had been there with it and offering me and making the case for it. And that's exactly what porn has sprung to. It's gone from the dial-up connection in my parents' basement to uh, literally in every pocket um, the availability is insanely pervasive such that if, unless you actively try to cut yourself off, your access is going to be there. Um, and so for a long time, the church could just say, uh, you should feel bad about this. It's awful. Don't do it. And that would work most of the time. And access was restricted enough that they wouldn't be porn addicts for the same reason that they wouldn't be heroin addicts. Um, not to say, by the way, we don't have heroin addicts in the church. We absolutely do. But you get the parallel. Um, and we started doing things differently. We started talking in this group and, um, we we looked at Matthew 18 in particular, uh, as well. We started having our conversations differently. And this is where we, we realized there was an untapped power in the gospel 
know I cut you off on a cliffhanger there, but hopefully that will bring you back next week to hear Dave Bosher and I talk about the power of the gospel over pornography. Until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.